Poker Tove, and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats, episode number 91, coming to you live from Japan, Israel, and of course, the great United States of America. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, CoolStuffInc.com and GatheringMagic.com, who have provided us with sweet gift certificates to give away for people asking questions on their page where we post the cast every week. With free shipping on orders of $100 or more, a sweet 25% BIOS bonus, and an awesome customer rewards program, CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. And of course, this week we are joined with a special guest. We've been trying to get him on for a very long time. If you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Cliff Daigle. Uh, we're a commander on Twitter, and uh, co somebody's been writing about stuff about magic finance for longer than I can think about. I'd have to actually check. At least four years. My daughter's five, so four years and change. Awesome. Well, it's glad to have you on. Uh, I'm going to... Yeah, I'm going to try to take the, uh, the reins of this podcast because Jeremy's connection could be very... Um, unreliable and possibly dangerous. So uh, we will we will cut him some slack. I just uh, I, he 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 volunteered to do the introduction because I've messed it up like the last three times that I've tried to do it, and uh, I was tired of getting flack from him. So uh, a lot of things happened last week. Um, some new formats got a new format got announced. A new products cards got spoiled. Um, Cliff, since you're the guest here, what uh, what topic do you want to talk about first? What are you most excited about? I am most excited about playing Brawl. I haven't built a, a new commander deck in probably a year, not since the Ur-Dragon, and being able to pick a standard legal legend and rotate it once a year and keep adding new cards, I think is really awesome. I have uh, two different cubes, one of which is uncommons only, and one of which is everything from silver-boarded sets. So I've really come to appreciate being able to rotate cards and put in new stuff on a regular basis. We don't print, they don't put a lot of things in every set that's worth adding to uh, an EDH deck that's got 25 years worth of cards. So now we get to do constant new stuff and it should be pretty amazing. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you definitely bring up some good points. Um, I do want to just clarify a little bit that you can also pick a Planeswalker as your commander in this. Uh, they did... Yeah, a lot of people do because they're not legal in normal commander, but they said that you can use any legendary creature or planeswalker card as your commander card. Um, so it, there's definitely a lot of stuff to talk about there. Um, personally, I think there's actually probably going to be, if, if this format gets popular, there's a lot of cards that are going to be basically synonymous in a lot of different decks. Um, right now, we have it where like basically every deck that gets built has a soul ring in it. That's just. You just start your deck and you put some basic lands in it and you put a soul ring and that's where you start, right? Like everybody has a soul ring for every one of their decks. There are some cards I think in standard that if this format catches on are just going to be the kinds of cards that you just have in every deck. Like every deck, I think, every brawl deck, I think that people make at the beginning is going to have an immortal sun in it. I Don't can't imagine. Don't spoil my pick. Don't you dare spoil my pick. I'm just, I'm just saying I've, I've been eyeing that. I've been waiting to buy some for my own commander decks because it's definitely better than a Staff of Nin in all of the decks that would have played Staff of Nin. But all I see is people posting their, their lists on you know Twitter or on Facebook or whatever on, on Reddit and everybody has an Immortal Sun in it. And everyone has um, was it Azur's Gateway is the, the one that flips into the land that makes a ton of mana. Yeah, those two artifacts can be really 
like those those could spike like to be you know ten or fifteen dollars if a bunch of people decide that they want to play this format. Um, right now, they don't get played in standard at all, and they're still. I think Azure's Gateway is like three bucks, and the Immortal Sun's like six or seven. These are almost entirely dim on casual demand, which could just go higher because of this new format. Um, well, the Immortal Sun is actually in a deck that got featured over the weekend. Uh, it's crept up to around eight now, and it's a two of in the uh, white mono white approach deck, which was all fumigates and settle the wreckages and delay, delay, delay. I think it was running four cast out and four Ixalan's binding and a couple of Thopter arrests too, because nobody is playing anything to kill enchantments. And to be able to do all of that and then throw down the Immortal Sun, get the extra card, your all your stuff is cheaper. You can now uh, get your to your Immortal Sun in three turns without doing anything extra. I think the Immortal Sun's got a lot of play, and I agree. It's going to be in every Brawl deck for the next. It's got what uh, a year and three months or so. Did they say when it's going to rotate? The same time it's standard, right? Yeah, it should be all standard legal cards. So this stuff won't rotate until not this fall, but the following fall. Shameless plug for whatsinstandard.com, a site I use every time I'm writing. I've never heard of it, but I might have to now from now on since I don't really play it anymore. It's really handy. Just whatsinstandard.com. I don't know who runs it. Uh, congratulations for the free plug. Travis, right, what are your give, thoughts on Brawl? We give EDH Rec enough uh, enough free traffic anyways. Um, Brawl is uh, curious. Clearly an attempt by Wizards to try and harvest more start standard sales. A lot of players don't have a reason to be buying those, those cards, and this gives them a reason to, especially if you're in the EDH crowd. You generally aren't going to be picking up boxes or int that interested in what's in standard, but now they're giving you a new standard. They know how much uh, EDH players like building new decks and brewing, so this kind of gives them a new a new space to play with, and they're hoping that'll transfer into more sales. Also gives some additional demand the cards that didn't have demand before. Um, you know, so, you know, a lot of the rares and mythics in a box are generally not valuable, especially if they're not good in standard, but now there's room for those to be discoverable someplace else. The real question here is whether anyone will care. Uh, and we don't know that, and we can't know that, and we can make our best guesses, but ultimately the players will decide whether this is something they care about. Um, obviously this could go in the way of tiny leaders and everyone will forget that it exists, or it could end up being quite popular. Don't have a good feel for that yet. People are kind of excited about it right now, but they were excited about tiny leaders too, right? I am reluctant to get too eager about the format. It does seem more tiny leaders than anything else to me, but I guess time will tell. If it does pick up popularity, stuff like Azure's Gateway is probably your best bet. In general, I don't think it's going to move a lot of card prices that much. In What I think you'd see is the floor on a lot of the bad cards come up a little bit. Stuff that's otherwise unplayable in standard, but is a key card in Brawl might get a little bit better. You know, Instead of a 50 cent rare, it might be a $2 rare type of thing, which is generally going to be tough for people like us to make money on um, where people like us can profit from brawl being even reasonably popular is if the card hits multiple formats so if you've got a card in standard that's good in brawl good in standard 
reasonable and modern and good in real commander well now you've got like a four format card uh something like a tireless tracker it's going to make those even more popular because people might need copies for their standard deck and their brawl deck and you know maybe their modern and their edh deck like and people who wouldn't have needed it before now need it so you're going to see some of those cards really pop in a way they wouldn't have before but all this depends on brawl actually being popular time will tell i think this is better than um Tiny Waiters, because a lot of players already have access to these cards. Uh, versus Tiny Waiters, they had to just sort of build it with all the Tier 1 cards, because the format was solved really quick. Now, Brawl can also be solved pretty quick as well. Uh, so you do have to watch out for that. Um, anecdotally, my casual players are way happier for this. So we'll see exactly what uh, what goes on with that. But the other thing that a lot of people are bringing up, which is a concern, is that Watsi is doing this as a desperation attempt uh, to increase sales. And that's something that you need to keep in mind because they're inventing another format uh, to try and push sluggish standard sales. Gotta love the alliteration there. Um, it's just, it just doesn't, I'm not sure if this is something that like they're pushing because they need more sales for standard stuff and because LGSs have just been getting absolutely killed lately uh, on pretty much all products and margins. Or if um, this is actually something that's going to revitalize the casual economy and lead to you guys being able to pick a lot more stuff out of standard bulk that you get. Um, because a lot, if an uncommon that's not good enough for like a pirate theme deck uh, suddenly starts seeing play in Brawl, you're selling one at a time. But if you have, I mean, even a, a fifth of the players that play EDH pick up Brawl at, at your LGS, as far as the people that go to FNM, I'm not talking about people that play Kitchen Table Magic, you'll see those uncommon prices increase as players order them online or go into a shop to pick up like $20 worth of uncommons and commons. So that's where your bread and butter could potentially be. I don't think it'll be in the rare slot. I think it'll be being able to move more commons and uncommons that you normally would not sell because they're just not tier one. But um, it's the ones that the casuals want. And at the same time, it's one that's good in Brawl like uh, the Drain 1, Gain 1, uh, Uncommon Lifelink Vampire from Battle for Zendikar, the three, Drina's Emissary, like stuff like that will sell way more because of Brawl on top of casual demand. So it's something and, to keep in mind. And cards like that are going to be really good for the stores, but that's not really good for Gemini, right? Like we, there's no well, way for me so, to profit on that. Well, what I'm saying is if you're picking bulk, it'll lead to you pulling out more uncommons and being able to get dimes on them. Which, if you're Doug and you want to make minimum wage picking bulk, it seems like a good idea. I, I, I suppose that's true. <laughs> I wonder how many of our listeners do that as well. Because, I mean, generally they're only picking bulk if they bought a collection recently. I mean, they could also be picking things that they drafted their LGS. Like, there is a non-zero amount of people that will have cards that they theoretically could pick that they didn't spend that much money on or didn't spend more than, you know, a non a trivial amount on it like if you're drafting and you end up with all the stuff that you drafted at the end of the night like you didn't pay extra for it so it's not a big deal if you find some free money in it sure are you are you guys saying that you're not interested in buying some foil admiral beckett brass at eight bucks right now that's not intriguing to you in the least i considered it i placed an order recently and i'm like oh maybe i should pick up a foil of this cool new legendary on theme and i'm looking at him like eight dollars huh I don't think so. Please, you you spent a much worse eight dollars in the last week, and don't you dare deny it. I don't. I mean, the f frosty that I bought was four dollars. I definitely didn't need to pay for that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, see, that's that's the kind of card that like 
it could be good in Brawl, but there's just not that many like pirates that are like worth playing. And like, how does your mana base look with only a couple of dual lands that you can only play one of? Like, it, it's it the mana could be really difficult. I think that's going to be one of the defining things of this format is that three colors is going to be super difficult. Uh, you don't even have amazing green fixing at this point. You don't have a cultivate. You don't have a Kadama's Reach. You don't have explosive vegetation. You don't have even Farseek. You've got the dinosaur rampant growth whose name escapes me. So you're not going to have any way to fix your mana for three colors, uh, especially the pirate decks in Grixis, and that's going to be a really tough sell. But at the same time, you can take, uh, what would it be, like 33 good pirates, uh, 10 accessories, and 27 lands, and call that a day. You'll have a great time with Admiral Brass. It, that so that the color fixing is going to depend on where you are in standard because if it's the fall and you don't have as deep of a card pool, it could be hard to put together three colors depending on what they're trying to make standard look like. But by the time you get like by the time you get past the winter set, I would expect most decks to be able to support three colors. Also, it's brawl; you're not playing all ones and two drops uh, like you are with a standard deck. You know, it's probably going to be a slightly higher boner cost you can afford uh, to have a few more lands come in the play tap, which would help a bit. I'm sure. Right. So I think that the overall consensus here is that there could be some money to be made. It really depends on how many people adopt playing this new format. I think that it's probably not going to be a tiny leaders because it has DCI sanctioning and, you know, theoretically there will be side events at Grand Prix for this, for this format, but it's just like old school. Woo. Yeah. Like that. I don't know, you, man. Like, I, I think that this could be very... It could be good, but it might be bad. We just don't know yet. And you said a second ago that the this format could get solved. If we can't solve standard, how are we going to solve a singleton format? Standard gets solved, like, once a year at this point. <laughs> well, and there's so... What's the answer right now? Is there one? Uh, right now, standard's pretty good, right? It's It's reasonably robust. It was... Sure, it's all solved before the most recent bans. True, but they they screwed up uh, with equipment and they screwed up with energy, and who knows what they're going to screw up with next? Whatever new mechanic they come out with, every new mechanic has been overpowered from planeswalkers to vehicles and now energy. So we'll see if sagas are the next overpowered uh, bit that they don't want to ever do again. Well, that's a. Uh... I suppose that's more than just brawl, though. In general, when you're looking at brawl, you're going to be even if Brawl doesn't stick, Withers is going to keep trying to find a rotating format that they can get to hook people and to get popular because uh, the modern play, modern is as a format is probably starting to age out. Um, you know, if you want to play modern, you most of the people kind of already own those cards. Wizards isn't selling through enough cards. The Master Series has lost a lot of traction with the community, so they're going to have a tougher time pushing sales for that through. Modern in general can't make Wizards as much money as it might have been able to back in 2013 and 2012. They're going to start looking for more formats, away, uh, and they're really going to look for rotating formats because that gets people to keep buying cards. So if it's not Brawl, it's going to be something else. Oh, there was something I was going to say. Oh, um, do you think that they, they've been doing uh, one Masters set a year, even though it feels like it's been four in the last year? They've been doing, they did two last year, at least. Right. It, it's felt right. like there's a whole bunch of master sets. And is it just that they need to be more disciplined in that? Because they've just been printing cards uh, left and right in extra set and extra set and extra set. 
if they pull that down, I feel like one master set a year really moves better than uh, two to three that are kind of mastery. Yeah, they don't care about that, though. They just care about making money, which is why they're incentivized to print more and more supplemental products. And, like, everyone talked about this last year, but, I mean, 2017 was the year of supplemental products where we got at least a supplemental product every month. And, like, you look at uh, shareholder numbers, and the average amount of players is going down, but the average amount of money each player is spending is going up because they're targeting... Uh, more groups of individuals. So from their perspective, they should do even more sets in 2018 or find a way to promote more sales with higher end margin stuff, which is where you see master sets like M25 and whatever master set we get at the end of the year, plus all the spellbook stuff that um, the foil stuff gets harder to crack. So you sell way more of those by uh, creating an MSRP that's below market value. Was it really one a month? It was something. I think like if you that. averaged it out, it, yeah, if you averaged it out, it was at least one a month. But yeah, there was I one think, month where we had three product releases in the same month. Yeah, last last couple months of last year were rough. There was like one or two different things coming out each month, and like I liked a lot of the stuff that came out, but like you can't buy it all anymore. And I guess that's not like I I think that they understand that that like people are going to feel overwhelmed and not buy everything anymore. But now that there's a specialized thing for theoretically every group of people, the people that do like the thing are going to buy more of it. So like the commander products are obviously not for any standard players, not for modern players. They're for commander players. That one's very obvious. And those, those products sell very well, but like things are like master sets were like, they're not going to make, they said they're not going to make modern master sets anymore. Like as, as a, as a defined theme, like maybe they'll do it periodically, but not as like clockwork as they used to. I think they're just going to make more master sets where like, there's a couple of things for everyone. So that entices a bunch of people to buy cards that might not have otherwise. So they'll, they'll be releasing products for different groups of people at the same time with the intentions of these are not for the same types of players. So we don't need to worry about them not spending as much. Yeah, that's a common refrain that Rosewater likes to go back to, that not all cards are for all people, which completely makes sense. On the product front, that's a good message to tell people while also secretly trying to get everyone to buy it. I, yeah. I, you, you are correct. Like you, That's definitely okay. the more cynic outlook on this, but I don't, I don't, like, I don't have any stake in, in the the business version of this like i don't care like i don't own a store i don't have to lay out the money for all these products i don't really care like if they devalue the cards that i have because i wasn't going to sell them anyway like none of that stuff matters to me the only thing that matters to me is whether or not i can buy cards cheaper than i used to be able to so i can own more cards that i want to own or if i get new cards that i want to own that make my game more enjoyable in both of those scenarios the amount of products that they're putting out is fine to me i don't buy booster packs because that's just bad value. Like I don't, I don't, unless I'm drafting them, there's no reason to buy an open packs. Like it's fun, but it's like a ton of money. And I realized that like, that's not a reasonable adult thing to do, but that doesn't stop a lot of other people from doing it. No. And I mean, you, you don't have to make your buying decisions based on wizard business habits uh, and they're what they're attempting to accomplish, but being aware of it is a wise idea, like knowing what they're, what they're trying to get you to do. What they're trying to do is get us to do the uh, chain of events going on. I'm looking at the list 
and it goes, uh, so we get, uh, you're gonna give me hell about pronunciation, Travis, I can see it in your eyes already. Uh, Dominaria, don't, I don't care. Anyway, uh, that's coming out in April, and then in, we get nothing for May, but then in June, we get the Volume 2 Commander Anthology, along with Battle Bond. A week after that is Jace's Spellbook, and then we've got two weeks until M19's pre-release, and then uh, there's a Pro Tour at the beginning of August. Commander 18 is out in mid-August, and that's just uh, a lot of money we're going to be spending this summer. Whether or not you're going to actually buy a Commander Anthology, you might be looking to pick up some of the singles from that. So they are still giving us supplemental products at what feels like an incredible rate. And I don't, I thought this wasn't sustainable uh, a year ago, and they they haven't slowed down. And I don't know if just pure numbers is why. I would have to go back and look uh, at what the old rates of product were like six years ago. I don't remember it Great being this question. Dense, but it might have been pretty rapid it was back not, then, too. Was the, it not? the only supplemental products that we got back then, we would get one dual deck a year, and we would get one from the vault per year before the introduction of Mas Modern Masters 2013, which is like the first major supplemental product that they were pushing. You would only get a from the vault and a dual deck per year. And occasionally an event deck or an intro deck. But yeah, that was it. So when did they start the commander decks? That was probably around 2011. 2011. 2011. They were in 2011. Yeah. Then they had the commander anthologies the year after because they didn't have the R and D time to. No, that make was, it that was Arsenal. That was Commander's Arsenal. Sorry, um, you're right. Arsenal. Those are the things that Travis really likes. Those are his favorite. That's <laughs> my Arsenal. Okay. Yeah, they were they skipped a year. They did Commander's Arsenal, and then they went back to do Commander decks every year, or Commander, yeah, Commander decks every year. Yeah, so like what I'm saying is, you would have like four or five months a year where there was nothing. You had okay. your three sets, and then you had like three supplementary sets. Four, but now four you sets. have three sets, and yeah, now four. you have four sets and no, like eight supplementary sets. products. Sure. Standard. Well, standard what I'm standard saying is, you basically. You basically have twice the amount of supplemental products as you do of the normal products <laughs> for their brand at this point. So it's just something to keep in mind. I mean, I guess twice as many now as they had before is not actually that crazy, right? As long as they don't burn their reprint equity, it's completely healthy for the game. Well, and yep. that's the question is, is like, can the reprints keep up with it? And I'm willing to guess that, I mean, I'm not willing to guess. They have burned their reprint equity pretty hard. So I would expect them to pull back on master sets because why the hell are anyone going to buy them anymore at this rate? Oh, we have someone joining us from Japan now. Ed, how is the weather there? Ed? Our, our storm watcher appears to not be able to hear us. You all enjoying your look into uh, Japanese airport? Yeah. Looks I have like better connection in the desert than he does in an airport. Hmm. <laughs> well, you know how technically back, technologically backwards Japan is, right? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> uh, Do you remember yeah, when? It's interesting. That, interesting. Yep. What? Uh, it's just interesting that like they're catering to all these different players, and like it used to be, you players could budget for all to buy all the stuff every year or at least a little bit of everything and now no one has that money unless you're just like a high roller and if you're high rolling you're probably playing legacy vintage or old school 
or you're like playing or you're like foiling out a cube or something. You're or not you're like EHD. buying Yeah, you're not like buying the supplementary products. When you get to a certain level, like it's more about just foiling or buying as many decks as possible. And you don't really have to worry about anything else. So I can understand exactly why that would happen. I don't know. My my concern about master sets is like these last two have been pretty lackluster in terms of like keeping people interested. I feel like they needed a couple of more cards in M25, and I think it would have been fine. Like, not that many. I think like two or three. If they had like two or three good mythics and rares, that set would have been the best one they've ever done. But they started out so high and just like fell into the, the like. You know, fell into a crater when they were like, "Oh yeah, and our black mythic is Doomsday. Everyone needs another Doomsday, right?" And there's just like, "Who is that even for? Nobody like nobody wants the masterpiece one. Why did you do it again? Like, who? Why was this a good idea? Why couldn't we do something people wanted? Like demonic tutor, that would have been sweet. But they'll never reprint that card, even well, though it's not on the reserve list. To be fair, we did get three reprints of Doomsday this year, which was pretty nice." Why? Um, who, who needs we those? Got, well, the first one was the Ixalons uh, leak, and then the second one was Doomsday in M25, and then the third one was Dominaria leak. So it was very nice of Wizards to provide all that for us this year. You're not helping. You're the worst. Has that, but that's a, a good point, because we have had like no time at all to plan Every time we start thinking about what'll be in one set, we've got stuff spoiled for two sets ahead. And I it's been really annoying for me to try to keep to any plan or schedule that I've made. I can't I, I just can't keep up. There is too much going on. And the only thing I did right was get uh foil power conduits uh as soon as sagas got spoiled. That's the only thing I've done right in like the past six months. <laughs> just just in general. It doesn't even have to do with magic. Just the only no, correct decision. Only I've thing I've done is exactly ask any of my students. They'll tell you the only thing Cliff's done right, Mr. Daigle's done right in the last six months, buying magic cards. And that card. Just that card. Do your students know that you do this stuff? Uh well they know I play magic. I haven't I don't think anybody has gone to the lengths of trying to find my articles or the occasional casts with you, or maybe they'll find this, or maybe they'll all know. I don't know. I'm not too worried about it. Let them look me up. We are all C, we are all C minus level magic celebrities. It is clearly the best place to be at. I two believe un, I have the least Twitter followers sign, of all of you, so that puts me at D plus. Too too unknown to sign cards at GPs. Well enough known to be mistaken for other content creators. That is the sweet spot right wow. there. <laughs> all right, who's Travis's lookalike? I gotta know. Uh, I know. I uh, BJ Novak is what I've been told. I would buy that. I keep wanting to call you Siler. That's the other one. That's one of the two. Okay, I'm done poking fun at you, Travis. Whatever. <laughs> what is our next topic, Jim? Well, uh, I think we should go into the uh, question of the week before we forget that. So uh, as everyone knows that has listened to the cast, if you go to gatheringmagic.com, when this cast goes up there and you leave a question, uh, you can get chosen at random to win a $25 gift certificate to coolstuffinc.com. So our winner this week is Chris Lloyd. And uh, Chris, Christopher whenever you... Lloyd? That is, that is his name. Back in the future? Me. Great Scott! 
Oh, I'm too young for that. I don't I don't actually know shut what up. his name is. Finish what you were saying. Uh, so Chris asks, what do you guys think about Watsi making Fire Song and Sunspeaker standard legal with only a promo printing? Um, so I'll start off by saying I don't think that this is a good idea long term. Um, I don't think th this one in particular is going to cause problems. I think it'll be great to add some stuff to Brawl, basically. Uh, I don't think that it'll get played in standard itself, but... You know, it's cool that you can get a buy a box promo legendary creature so that you can play your brawl deck and whatever. And it's it's new and different. I'm I'm sure that people will be happy that they don't open them in their booster boxes because it's just really a bulk rare. But at the same time, if they ever make a good one, that could be a problem. Like it'll be very very expensive, and there's no good avenues for them to like inject more copies of it into the market. Um, other than like, I guess bringing back like standard showdown packs or something. Well, even even then, it's not still a very good idea, uh, like a very good solution to the problem, I should say. So, for this one, I, I don't really, think it... I really like it. I like it a lot. Um, LGSs are going to be able to make more money than normal, which is good because they needed a, a hand, and they can just put this in the battle bond in a couple months after people have already spent their money at LGSs, and then the supply is increased, and it doesn't take that much effort for them. They've done so, this before with judge promos, and then they've printed them in supplementary sets after that. So that's a pretty easy way to make money for anybody, is you you short them essentially, and then you wait for it to get hit again, and you just make free money. How do you short a magic card? I don't know, you but just, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna respond to that. What are you, you gonna you say? Sell, no, 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 no. You sell it before it drops. So, no. for example, shorting a magic card would be selling Snapcaster Mage before Modern Masters 17 came out because you thought it was going to be reprinted, and that's why the price dropped so much before M M17 is because everybody was shorting Snapcasters. Then they waited for it to go lower, bought it, and then waited for it to go back up. So you can do the same thing with Fire Song. You get one from your LGS. You sell it for four or five bucks or whatever it goes for. You wait for it to get hit and, get, and crater down to a bulker and a supplementary printing, and then you buy it back then. Well, I suppose that involves having them in the first place. That's the tricky part. No one's starting with them. They're just coming out at the high price. Okay. No, no, you're, you're correct. I just mean like, because I remember Tom Martell made a comment about this before too, is like there's the only way to short a magic card. Uh, and for those who are unfamiliar, like the opposite of, when we talk about speculating magic, we're talking about trying to buy things when they're cheap and waiting until they get, because we think they're going to get expensive. Shorting is going the other direction. It's something is expensive right now, and I'm betting money that will be cheap later on. It happens all the time in the stock market. The only way to really make that work in magic cards is to have a bunch of the cards now and sell them because I think they're expensive, because I think they're going to go down in the future. So in order to short a magic card, you have to own a bunch of them. So when this card gets released to the market, like you might be able to, have one when you get from a booster box or whatever, but it's not like you have a hundred of them that you can short right now. It gives to acquire those in the first place. That's the problem. You don't have Travis, to do don't bring logic into my fantasy card game. <laughs> That's not fair. Sorry, sorry. I actually really agree about the judge promo example. It's exactly what they've done. They've made something super pricey and given a, a foil version and you didn't know what was going on. And then it gets a, a reprint in not too long and it's going to be a not very expensive card in very long. I'm really worried though that, uh, like Jim said, if they do a good one of these, that's 
not going to be good for players if you need to get a playset of whatever incredibly underpriced thing they print. Like if they put Braska's Contempt at one black black or something. So I, I hope that you're right that they'll uh, goose sales and then come back down. But um, Wizards has screwed up enough things in the past that I think this is a dangerous path to go down. I will say, though, if your plan is to print this as an exclusive for a little while as a buy a box promo, like, so here's, 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 here's a, here's a scenario. What if every single buy a box promo for a set is just a card in the next set? Like, you basically get it, like, how much tinfoil do you have in your, how much tinfoil do you have in your room right now, Jim? No, no, I'm not saying that this is what it is. I'm saying, what if that was the case? What if they said that these buy a box promos, are cards that are in the following set. So they're not available to purchase now. They're not in the booster boxes that you're opening right now, but maybe they're like they're like a super advanced preview card for the next set. Like, would that be a problem? Because even if that card got really expensive in the three months before the next set comes out, there's a release valve for the price that doesn't make it too bad. Well, so there's... The idea isn't... Your, your idea is fine accepting competitive play. So I'll come back to it in just a moment. In general, this the uh, printing of cards that are in standard but are not part of the uh, the set uh, was a bad idea with the Planeswalker decks that they got lucky didn't backfire yet. And it's a worse idea with buy box promos that are pushed. One of these days, if they keep doing this, they're gonna print a card that's too good and it's gonna look terrible because a card is gonna cost a million dollars and it's going to be required to be competitive and standard, and it's going to be a PR disaster. And they're flirting with danger on this one, and I don't quite understand why they're doing it. Now, if they do put the card somewhere else shortly, that helps, right? So you can buy a box it now, and then maybe it shows up in some other venue that puts a reasonable supply out there in the near future. I'm talking like a month. The next set is a cool idea from a finance perspective, but from a competitive standard perspective, that gives you an entire three month window where this card is only, only available, you know, from the buy box promo and you, it's a tier one card in standard and it's going to be too late. Like putting them in the next set's going to be too late at that point uh, because that's, that gives it time to screw up the pro tour, several grand prix. I, I don't understand why they're playing with fire like this. Um, and if it's not, if they're putting it somewhere else shortly thereafter, not a great idea but at least they have a release valve if they don't already have plans for this card to show up again within three months i mean they are just asking to get burned right so my my idea was i think that people would be a lot less upset if they knew that the card was available like maybe not like immediately afterwards but shortly afterwards you could you could get it in a non-limited print run basically like the way that they've announced it right now is this is literally the only way that you can get this card and we were it is not part of the set they didn't say you know we'll have it in a month in a supplementary product they didn't say it'll be in the next set in the booster packs they didn't say anything about where else you could get them so that naturally makes people very anxious and unhappy even if this card isn't very good for you know formats that you're gonna need four copies of it and a lot of people will need four copies of it this is you know very tailored to a format that you'll play one copy of it and maybe not any at all so i think this one in particular is not gonna be a problem and i think that they probably if they like the the idea that it's part of the next set you don't have to necessarily put a particularly good card there you could just put a card that's interesting for people like that appears to appeals to casual people that don't need four copies of it thought experiment 
if the card blows up, let's say that this card was printed at like four mana or something, and it, it's a legend, so that people are going to play probably three or four, what would happen to the prices of the boxes? Like, would all of the cards in standard just kind of fall like rocks because people are buying no, boxes? Because there's, you said if they put it in the normal set or if it's still no, no, a no, box they keep promo. it If they keep it as a promo and they don't ever print any more of these. Yeah, then the answer is no because each LGS only has so many and you already have shops that are selling thousands of boxes online for $80 that are not giving out the WPN promos. So, like, you get cleaned out at your local LGS, but boxes want to go up inherently because each shop only receives so many promos. I think we receive 40 promos as Advanced Plus, and, like, once we sell those, like, or not sell those, once we sell those boxes and we fulfill our obligation and give out those promos with the boxes, uh, we don't get any more. So the boxes that we have after that aren't inherently going up because we don't have any promos. So there's no point in charging more for boxes. But what I'm saying is if, that the, if, the, if the goal is to have an LGS sell more boxes, uh, the people who are going to buy boxes online are always going to buy those. But if you have a larger portion of more casual players saying, like, why don't I buy this box at 120 It's coming with this $30 promo. Are, would that be enough for all these other smaller stores and depress the amount of product there? I think there's the potential for like real dangerous things to happen. And like Travis said, I don't know what they're getting out of this aside from maybe goosing some LGS sales. Okay. Well, I hope it works. And uh, speaking of dangerous, it's 3 a.m. here, so I'm going to log off. I would love to continue this conversation, but I have to go up to the Syrian border tomorrow, so I'd like to not die and get some sleep. Uh, thanks like for letting me die. jump don't on real fast, guys. Border. Yeah, yeah, avoid death. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I guess Ed will take over from here, guys, so have fun. Uh, but yeah, thanks for having me on real fast, and I hope my audio was good enough for the listeners. Later, guys. Night. See ya. See ya. All right, so Ed, how do you feel about this promo from your store's perspective? Uh, is my audio fine? I'm on, like, yeah, Wi-Fi at the airport. So. Okay. Um, I think from a normal perspective, I don't have a problem with it, obviously, because we benefit from it quite a you bit. The white zone is for loading and unloading only. What? D ignore Travis. Keep going. Okay. Um, uh, Jeremy said he was getting 40. I think we're getting 60 for a store, which I think part of the problem is that this is limited in some capacity. I think it would be much less of an issue if we had a much larger supply of them, but I guess that encourages abuse, similar to like the FNM uh, fatal pushes, where people just basically weren't giving them out FNM, and instead they were just taking them and directly selling them. Um, I don't necessarily have a problem with a card if it does end up being good, but I do see where people do have legitimate concern that, oh, like if this is the next coming of like, you know, Snapcaster Major Tomboy Boy for something, then there's definitely a problem for standard if that were the case. Um, as it stands, I I think it's fine as it is. Um, I think people are getting a little bit too panicked about it. And I think I would imagine like worst case scenario, if it does become like a format standard, for example, is that necessarily any different in the past when you've had to basically spend like $320, like $8 a piece basically to get a playset of you know, the Chase Mythic or whatever that you need. 
to be competitive. Like, is that necessarily the worst thing? Obviously, that's pretty bad because Wizards wants to make uh, standard substantial more affordable for most people, but this isn't something that we haven't seen before in the past. Okay, I mean, yeah. he, 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 Ed, Ed's correct. People are probably more worried about this than they need to be. It's a dumb idea, but you don't really need to be worried at the time. Right. I think that I think that pretty much summarizes how we all feel about this. Like, it, it is it is not this particular card is not bad, but there are problems, possible problems in the future, and if there are, they could get very bad. And, and people are worried about that case, not the case directly in front of us, which is. Uh, a six mana, I think three four or something, on I'm substantial. Four six because it's double a herloom. Oh, okay, four six like three four four six like it's also just like not an efficient creature for its mana cost. Like it's smaller than the colossal dreadmaw, and that guy is also not good. So, um, so yeah, so Chris, uh, when you get a chance, send me a message on Twitter or on Facebook or the cartel account. And uh, I will send you your $25 gift certificate for uh, CoolStuffInc.com. So uh, I think now is a good time for pick of the week. And uh, Cliff, I believe you were very insistent on a pick that you had this week that you didn't want me to spoil, but I might have done anyway. It's clearly been spoiled. It's all right. We'll come back to uh, reality. But I think the Immortal Sun is going to be a lot more than $8 in the year it has left in standard uh we're looking at a card that's a small set mythic it's already getting a lot of supply soaked up by edh decks i haven't looked at the numbers on edh rec but it's a card that you should think about playing in your edh deck because so many of your uh, colleagues who are playing edh are overloading on planeswalkers and you just want to drop something down that says all of you stop doing this broken thing um, I right now it's eight. The foil is a reasonable uh, twenty something. I think twenty three. I'm seeing, and so uh, either one of those would be fine. I think I'd rather have the non foils just on a uh, chance that it shoots up probably to the fifteen to twenty range. It's already seeing a little bit of standard play, and I, I just think it's real solid. I like. Uh, some, I won't spoil anybody else in case they're saying gateway. No, I've picked that one actually pretty recently um, just as like a, hey, this is probably the bottom floor for this kind of card. Like it's a, it, almost exclusively casual card, but if it ever got good in standard, like there's no reason that it's going to be three to five dollars. Like it's the kind of card you're going to play four of because it, you know, it loots away other things. Uh, Ed, do you have a pick this week? I do. I'm kind of ready, actually. Um, Gag Teague in any capacity is two printings. One is the original Lorewood printing. The second printing is the Judge promo. Um, the Judge promo is unlikely to be reprinted in the following exemplar wave, which I believe is coming out, I want to say, within the next month or so. Um, it's been through two iterations of being part of the pack already, and I think at the third one it rotates out. Um, as for the normal print, um, supply has definitely kind of dried up We've seen it spike in the past before. It was uh, uh, I think it happened like around when Eldrazi Winter happened. I think that was kind of the first iteration um, of the original spike. And it's shown in the past that if it does get big and boggles is kind of the driving force of it, it uh, it definitely can go up more than it is. Granted, it's already pretty expensive with normal ones at 30, judge foils at like hovering around 45, I believe. 
Um, and it's not the type of card that you'll ever need of in large capacity. It's a sideboard card in Boggles as a two of, and Boggles is already... I, I don't want to fringe deck, but it's not exactly the most popular deck in Modern, even though, like, the mocks has shown, like, that Boggles is definitely a formidable force. I think there will always be people who will play in some capacity, and it's a relatively affordable deck to build, other than, like, your Horizon Canopies, basically. Horizon Canopies and Leyline Sanctity. Which is another card that has caused it, uh, or has, that has spiked recently, which kind of makes me think like there's a lot more demand for boggles than people like to believe. So I think Gattatique is one of those things that's it might not be far off, especially since it's kind of an awkward card to reprint in like a commander set, and it's it the price has been relatively the price increase has been so it makes me think that maybe Wizards doesn't have their eye on putting it in our master set right away. That's a good one. Uh, Travis, do you have a pick this week? No, nope, Travis looks like he is busy. He does not have his headphones on. So we'll, He's, still uh, doing research. he's still trying he, to find a pick this week. Well, he was just on the phone, so he might be doing something for his work because he's on call right now. Uh, so my pick this week, um, I was just looking at some rivals of Big Salon cards because that set's not really being drafted anymore. A Dominary is about to come out soon. A lot of people were taking time off to draft Masters 25. You know, it's it's old at this point. There's not a lot being open. So the card that I'm like look, keeping my eye on right now is uh, Journey to Eternity. Uh, that is the green black enchantment that flips into basically a land that reanimates a guy in your graveyard. Um, these kind of effects are typically very good in grindy matchups. Um, the Green black uh, check land is coming out in the next set, and you know theoretically some other cards that would be good to reanimate. Um, Standard is going to be at its biggest very soon, which means that unfair things that you can do with this are going to be at their all time high. Plus, there's the fact that I'm pretty sure that there's a green black commander, like there's a green black legendary creature that got spoiled in Dominaria already that was in like the the notes, and it looked really good and it has a lot of graveyard synergies. So basically this is probably going to be an auto included in any kind of brawl decks that end up playing green and black as well. So it's basically close to a bulk rare. Like it doesn't see any standard play, but Cliff will probably correct me because I thought that Immortal Sun didn't see any standard play, but apparently I was wrong. So um, I think this is the kind of card that we're going to look back and be like, man, how did this ever, like, how was this ever a dollar? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like this, this card is just too good at what it does for, you know, it to be just a dollar. So that's that's my pick. Um, I think that it has a lot of casual appeal, and I think that it's the kind of card that's going to be very difficult to reprint in the future because it's a flip card. I think they're getting better at adding random flip cards to other sets. That was something that they said in original Innistrad they didn't have the technology to do easily, was just add random flip cards. And they did that with Magic Origins, and now they're doing this with the with Ixalan and with Rivals. So I wouldn't be shocked if they figured out how to start doing like one or two transform cards in uh, in supplemental products like a spellbook. If they want to do spellbook uh, with one or two transform cards, I think they're at the point where they might be able to get there, and that might not be the safer the whether or not it transforms might not be the the safety net that it used to be. Well, for sure, yeah, we saw that they reprinted uh, a whole from the vault of flip cards. So, like, clearly, if they decide that they want to do that, they can. But 
Uh, I don't think that they're likely to do like one or two. Even with the the re most recent sets, like they did five mythic rares in Magic Origins, and we don't know how much it costs. Like it could have been a significant investment to actually be able to do that for that set. But Ixalan and Rivals of Ixalan, I think, have like ten flip cards or something like that. I think there's a like two or three mythics and like five to seven rares or something like that. Um, actually, no, Ixalan has at least more than 10, right? Because it has five artifacts and five colored cards that are flip cards. Like, there's five enchantments and five artifacts. Isn't it uh, 15 and 10? 15 in Ixalan and then 10 in Rivals? Yeah, and that I'm makes gonna, sense. I'm look this up. Yeah, I th I, I'm pretty sure it's five artifacts and five colored cards in Ixalan, and then, like, I guess there's, like, some mythics or something. But I could be wrong. Anyway, either way, I think that this is not, like... The kind of card that could be as easily reprinted as like Putrefy that you could just do literally anywhere. So Travis, do you have a pick of the week? Uh sure. Why not? Um, so this card is a perennial favorite. That is uh Gilded Lotus. It's in something like 35,000 EDH decks on EDH track. It's one of the most popular cards in EDH. I sell them every time I end up with any in my hands. At the moment, there have only been three printings of this card, the original version in Mirrodin, so not a deep supply there. The M13 copy, which is now seven, no, six years old, and the FTV run, which was quite narrow. So there's not a lot of these copies actually on the market. Um, supply is not supply is getting low. It's not low, low, but it's definitely getting there. Um, they were eight or nine bucks what a year ago now they're 13 or 14 and if we don't see a reprint this year they'll probably be 20 dollars or more next year uh and it's just going to kind of keep going up you know this could turn into like a doubling season type of card doubling season at 60 dollars uh even with a reprint so gilded lotus doesn't excite people in the same way doubling season does but it, it's a very popular card copies are always getting sold and without a reprint this is going to hit 25 and maybe even 30 dollars coalition relic was there gilded lotus can be it's very true. It's a good pick. Uh, we'll have to see what they decide to do with supplemental products because that's the kind of one that if they do put it in there, it, it could be like Chromatic Lantern where it actually gets more expensive if they only put it in one deck. Like if people certainly get turned on to that card as being a new th a thing, like you can have that problem where they put Chromatic Lantern in one of the decks and not all four of or four or five, five, five of the decks, right? There's five, four color no, there's, decks. There's four now. Right, right. But the, for the four color decks, there were five of them, right? Uh, yes. Uh, sure. Yeah. So, so there was a chromatic lantern in only twenty percent of the commander decks in the box, which means the other eighty percent of the people had to buy them. So, you know, it's not quite as not quite the same because they're only making four decks now. But it, you know, Gilded Lotus is a card that you basically kind of have too many of. Like you could just play it and everything; it fixes all your problems and it ramps you. So that's really not a bad card to put your money in. Yeah. All right, so uh, Ed, since you came on the cast a little late, did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about in particular? Uh, not really. All right, well, thanks for joining us then. <laughs> um, so let's wrap it up. Um, as always, we like to say at the end of the cast, uh, where everyone can find you. So Cliff, where can people find you? I am at Word of Commander on Twitter and Fridays at MTG Press. Awesome. Uh, Travis, where can people find you? 
I'm still on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday for MTG Price with the Watchtower series. I also do the podcast, the uh, MTG Fast Finance. All right. And Ed, uh, did you did you meet a, a uh, listener in Japan this time when you were there? I did. Someone found me at Grand Prix Kyoto this weekend. Uh, just kind of looked at me and said, hey, you're Ed. Right? Yeah, that's me. That was your podcast. Oh, okay. Wow. That, that, was, that was kind of neat. Since that Get was away like from me, weirdo. Places <laughs> on my list. People always seem to kind of catch me in weird places, but uh, shout out to Dave. Had a chance to uh, chat with him a bit. Um, he uh, he is currently living out in Osaka, not too far away from Kyoto. Um, but I guess he said he just found the podcast recently. He's listening to us not too long ago, and he heard that I was going to be there, so... Random, very cool. Uh, other than that, the Grand Prix was pretty uneventful. Um, this team event, so it's actually sold out, which is generally the standard for Japanese Grand Prix, as odd as that sounds. I definitely saw quite a few people make the trek out to play. Um, so it seems like team limit, uh, team constructed is more popular than I would have thought, considering how many foreigners um, actually like made the trip out at this time of year. Uh, flights weren't exactly cheap, so it's good to see that people are showing support for Team Constructed. Uh, beyond that, you guys can find me at Edwin13 on Twitter. Um, I'm a Burns Game Store. I'm out there a buyer. You'll not see me in Amsterdam this week, but you will see me in Seattle and Sydney in the following two weeks. I like how I asked you, did you have anything to add? And you said no. And then when I asked you where can people find you, you had like a five-minute dissertation on Japan. I'm, I'm very surprised. I've slept maybe three to four hours a night for the entire week since I've been here. So. <laughs> that sounds like yeah, part of the Yeah, and, and I've been awake for more than 24 hours at this point. So I'm, I'm All right, well, you can, get some, you can get some sleep. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at PHRST underscore. You can find my content on Gathering Magic every other Tuesday. And you can always find all of us except for Cliff, on this wonderful podcast (laughs) called Cartel Aristocrats. Uh, Thanks for listening, and don't forget to leave a question.